Let's sit. No more Let's learn. Let's evolve. Let's talk. Today is no Let's Talk Social Justice with your host, Kevin Yowie. Good morning. You're listening to AAA Murray Country. I'm Kevin Yowie and welcome to Let's Talk Social Justice. You might, we've got a special show for you today coming live from the AAA studios here in West End to kick off a timely series examining the Queensland Labor government's youth justice strategy and some of the changes to legislation impacting young people in Queensland. But as a Waka Waka and South Sea Islander man, I am a visitor to this country and therefore would like to begin by first acknowledging the traditional custodians, owners and caretakers of these lands and pay my respect to their elders past and present. Okay, look, over the next few weeks, we'll be digging into the social, legal, political and personal dimensions of the youth justice strategy and its impacts on blackfellas and our communities. And to kickstart these conversations, we're joined in the studios by two of the staunchest activists, advocates, artists and intellectuals from Sisters Inside, Ruby Walton and Netta Ree Marbo. Welcome to the show. Good morning and thank you for having us. Yeah, yama, yama, thank you. Hey, very early for us this morning. <laughs> I come in with my, my, my energy drink, bless. Um, I guess we'll get straight into it. Um, can you tell us, um, before we uh, get into the, to the yarn, um, who you are, uh, who's your mob and where you grew up? Yeah, I'm a Ruby Borton. I'm a Gumaroi Kumi, you know, coming from New, like my mob come from Weewar, New South Wales, and Kanamala in southwest Queensland, and been living here in Mianjin for the most part of my life. Deadly. And Ruby's no stranger to these parts. Um, for those who've been to any of the marches and rallies here in Mianjin, um, you, uh, Ruby is, is no stranger to the front lines. So thank you very much, Ruby. I know you're very busy. So thank you for joining <laughs> us this morning. Nettery? Hi, I'm Nettery Marbo. I'm a very, very proud Mamra, Nawagi and uh, Miriam woman and also South Sea Islander. Um, yeah, and I've been living in Mianjin for about uh, 23 years now. Deadly. Thank you, Netta. Netta, Netta and I first met, actually. I <laughs> I moved down to Brisbane um, when I was only 17, when I first moved out of Harvey Bay, and I come down to join ACPA, the Aboriginal Centre for Performing Arts, and this is where I actually first met Netta Reed, like a hundred it feels like 100 years ago now, yeah. Netta. And, and since then, we've done um, a lot of work together, and particularly around youth space, uh, youth justice spaces as well, when we were both managing bail programs. So thank you for joining us today. Um, I guess before we get into it, for folks who don't know much about Sisters Inside, more generally, who is Sisters Inside and what what kind of work are they involved in, Netta? So Sisters Inside has been around for about 30 years and it was started by women um, in prison, um, for women in prison and girls um, in prison, I guess. Um, So Sisters is essentially a a non-government organisation that advocates for the collective human rights of women and girls affected by the criminal legal system within Queensland. Yeah, you do really important work there. Um, Nettery, I'm wondering, um, I know you've been working in this space for some time now. Can you give us a bit of a broad sort of history around youth imprisonment generally here in Queensland? Well, it's actually got a very, very long, long Ooh. history. How much time do we have, eh? Since the, since the colonisation of this place. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for girls specifically, we've had probably about nine institutions in in Queensland mm. Wow. Actually, that's probably more if you include um, dormitories for girls in, on missions. Yeah, true. Um, so the very first act that was kind of, well, the Industrial and Reformatory Act of 1865 um, was the first act to be able to um, incarcerate children that were under the age of 15 
but not exclusively, um, that committed a crime, that were neglected, that were Aboriginal, and there were some other things that also connected to it, but they were the main three, right? Ooh. And so um, any of the, any child that were any of those three could be sentenced between one to seven years into one of these institutions. And over the course of um, the colonisation of this place till today, Ooh. we've... The name of these institutions, which were prisons, have changed. So we had like the um, industrial and reformatory school for girls. Okay. Um, we had we would now we call them youth detention centres. Oh. Um, then we've had like hospitals, youth centres. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've seen and something now, in the media about what they're, what they're starting to call them in some places. Yeah. So, like, healing centres is the new word. Oh. But they're all the same thing. Like, it, they're all prison. They all detain children. They all keep them from their families. They actually do not um, support them in any way to then function mm. in the community in a positive way. They actually take away rights, take away, like, not just rights but also self-determination Ooh. and that that extends from them being incarcerated to also when they're in the community because it limits their their the possibilities of who they can be and what mm. they can become because yeah. they're tarnished with this stigma of what the government now is talking about mm. them and how they talk about them but also just the broader public and even in the school system yeah talking about that um for anyone who hasn't been following the news, who maybe lives under a rock and hasn't been um, paying attention to any of these massive changes happening, um, can you tell some of our listeners um, about what's been happening over these last few years in this space, particularly around um, young people and, and imprisonment? Well, we think about, like, you think all this hype is because, like, maybe the crime rates are rising or Ooh. anything and things like that, but Ooh. it's actually not the case. I heard this really cool analogy the other mm. day about if you have a hammer, all you see is nails. And so we have all these, like, um, mm. Facebook pages that are, like, like super concentrating on, like, child, children and crime and all these things. So that's all everybody's seeing and talking mm. about. But really the, the reality is it hasn't been any different or it hasn't been, like, a big spike in, cr- like, crime rates. Yeah, yeah. Especially when it comes to children. And so this hype around it is crazy. And then the government's reaction to it has been definitely disproportionate to what the actual the reality of the situation is. And, of mm. course, there's been some really horrible things happen, like some deaths and some of people by children, but it, that's only a very small percentage. But then they're mm. talking about bringing in, like, um, well, changing the bail and how children can get bail and also giving police powers, more powers, to even think if there is... It's, it's not even if they've breached bail, but if the police believe they might. Yeah, I saw that in, in the mm. papers recently about um, the interpretation, the right? Yeah. The, the presumption that perhaps a, 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 an act might happen, yeah. they can um, put charges on. I know, and we already see that black children are over-policed. Uh, well, you have, like, young women who, like, go for a walk around, you know, the city on Ooh. the school holidays and be police check 10 times in that, like, in a day. And that's crazy to think that, and that's just for them being black. Mm. And so you can just see that it's only going to be Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children and kids of colour that are going to be targeted in, in this 
Yeah, we, we know that these amendments to the to the Act is going to absolutely disproportionately impact blackfellas um, and also, you know, kids of colour, like you say, Netta. Mm. Ruby, I'm wondering, um, you know, Netta Ree spoke about, you know, we know that there's our mob, young people um, walking around, and not just young people, adults as well, being yeah. racially profiled by um, the police. Um, when we think about how race operates here, um, what's your thoughts on, um, on that racial profiling and, and, and wh- where do you understand that to come where where did that come from, do you think? Well, it comes from the people like the that run the QPS and like government from just wanting to surveil and observe black people mm. constantly. They it's that mission manager mentality. Mm. And the only like how Netta was talking before about the uh, alleged increase in crime statistics. The only reason why we have that data is because there's been further expansion of police and prisons. Mm. It's conducive to the government and QPS's incentives and initiatives and intentions. They intend to further perpetuate that black folk are criminal, Mm. that black folk are savages, if you will. Like, they're they're literally targeting the most remote and blackest of black communities around North Queensland in areas like Gimoy and surrounding Cairns where they want to build one of these prisons and we anticipate another one to be in a rural northern Queensland area around Mount Isa. And these are two areas that are very, very black and very, very staunch black, brilliant people come from these areas and communities and live and reside in these areas and communities. And for QPS to outrightly target these communities... Like when you talk about communities like Yarraba, which is the largest mission in Australia, being an hour away from Cairns and receiving extreme amounts of police patrols and it just makes you wonder, makes you wonder, like, do the the government really believe that they're that slick, that we can't read and read the play and and assume what's going to happen from these problematic laws? Like uh, breach of bail laws is absolutely astonishing like they can acknowledge and assume that a young black kid is going to breach their bail because they don't have a safe house to go home to because they don't have anyone supporting them to get there to their to their appointments and all of that they can see that and they're weaponizing that against our children and the most vulnerable of vulnerable people in a time and in a social climate where you're talking about a voice to parliament and a treaty they want to silence and and cage our future so that these things, even if they do go through and they are successful, there's going to be no children to reap the benefits of that. Yeah, and yeah. that it's, it's, you know, it makes you realise why end toxic prisons is such an important campaign. Mm. If we can stop these two prisons from being built, oh. we could potentially stop the amount of young black kids that go through to the adult system and die in custody we can seriously impact the rates in which our people are imprisoned, whether it's in actual prisons, mental health facilities under forensic psych orders or whatever, within resi care. We can do these things. We can change our future and ensure that there is a future for these kids to reap the benefits of a treaty and of being just being born sovereign in their own lands. They mm. can be respected as that. Absolutely. And our people have the answers. Yeah. And the communities have the answers yep. that will protect children from these systems, mm. but the f- government fails to fund, f- adequately fund. 
Yeah, like, like we just met with a brother boy, Nathan Merger, up in Yarrabah. There, yep. he runs a little thing called Club Fight Back with okay. all the young boys in Yarri yep. who are who are on bail programs and yep. have that lived experience. And he's got that lived experience. Mm. And all he's doing is building relationships, taking them camping, showing them that there's people that care about them. Yeah, and he's got all of the outcomes, and he's got youth justice approaching him but that nobody's giving him money to do the work. Yeah. They want it to all be on his t- their terms. Mm. And, you know, that's a dying shame because they can see that we got the answers too, but they also don't want us to have the power to care for our own kids. Right, absolutely. You know, I think um, you, you both touched on a really important point in terms of the community, community's responses to this, right? And, mm. Nettery, you touched on some... Um, there's been some high-profile, I guess, cases in the media, which I... Um, I guess the the Labor government has really um, leaned into in terms of highlighting this supposed youth crisis happening in Queensland that's out of control. For for listeners who are tuning in today who who truly believe there is a youth crime uh, crisis happening in the state, they turn on Channel Ten News, they turn mm-hmm. on Channel Nine News, they turn on certain radio stations. Um, I'm wondering what what do you think? What role does the media play in in all of this? Mm-hmm. Oh, they continually perpetuate the the violence of these young people from the state because mm. they are talking about them as offenders. And it's very important when we think about children that we actually be mindful about how we speak about them and how they, mm. what what language we use. Because if we are perpetuating what the state is doing to them, and then they're seeing it in the media, they they're gonna eat that up, and that's who they're gonna be. And so. I think it's really harmful what the media media is doing. Mm. But also it kind of like it it really doesn't paint a picture of what's really happening or it doesn't actually like explain what's really happening. Now there's a a group they they talk about that mm. is of about 400 to 300 shifting like daily obviously because children age out and whatever. Um but it's only that amount of children, and we live in a state that has like 25 million people and we cannot support mm. adequately these 400 children. And I know what Sisters mm. Inside yeah, in our Yanger, in yeah, our Yanger program, yeah. we actually support the girls that are in that, that cohort mm. or mm. that are deemed the most difficult, mm. which is crazy to think that, that they are the most difficult because actually once you build a respectful, caring relationship with these young people, mm. Their lives change dramatically because there's somebody out there looking for them and hearing them and seeing them, that their lives change because they're feeling those things. And so you see better outcomes. But the government, like, refuses to actually see the things that are working because... I mean, there's a myriad of reasons why yeah. they why they like to ignore it, right? Mm. I know when I when I'm listening to the media, when I'm reading um, different articles online, um, from my years as a social worker on the front line, managing a bail program, working with young people um, in the youth justice space, something that's often left out of these conversations are the the social determinants, the contributing factors that are bringing mm. young people into the system in the first place. You never hear about any of those things that adults should be providing young people Mm, and as a society we should be providing young people. For listeners who don't know much about, you know, those contributing factors that bring young people into the system in the first instance, I'm wondering, um, given the work that you both are involved in, what what are some of those contributing factors that bring young people into the system in the first instance? I guess Resica is the biggest one. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah. So Resi Care, for listeners who don't know what Resi Care is. It's children that are under the care of the child protect, uh, under child protection, and they are probably aged a little higher. Um, at like say 14 they generally go to Resi Care yep. and that is where we find a lot of children being criminalised and that's where most criminalisation begins and the crazy thing is mm. it's the state that is mm. the parent of these children and it's the state that has fundamentally failed these children but they keep them in this cycle of incarceration and um, institutionalisation but don't actually do anything to, to support them Mm. or to keep them within their families or fund yeah. that. It's it's mind-boggling. Yeah. It, it really is. I <laughs> often do, when I, in my years of working in that space, I always was like, where's the adult? <laughs> can, can the adults come into the conversation, please? Because we're blaming, and, and like you said earlier, Ruby, the most vulnerable people in our society mm. for some of the biggest... Um, uh, I guess, disparities that they've experienced, right? I mean, when you think about poverty, mm-hmm. when you think about racism, mm, yeah. when you think about family and domestic violence, I mean, I worked with young people that would jump out the window of a night time if there was family and domestic violence, yeah. mm. and then they would then go and um, make friends out on the street, and then they would get up to all different types. I also worked with young people who, if they didn't have a house to live at, it's very hard to, um, I guess succeed um, mm-hmm. in, in this society, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I know when I worked in that space, um, youth shelters as well wasn't always easy to get young people into. Especially if they're on bail. If they're definitely excluded. Yeah. Especially if they've got violent offences, which is how we're seeing this whole thing come about. Like a couple of years ago, we saw there be laws brought in around the CBD area where they yeah. can they could charge any young person if they had a knife or something of small stature like that to keep yeah. themselves safe. Exactly. And it's, yeah, it's just And even when wild. we think about the violence, the violent offences, and I hate using that term, mm. but when we re- really, when you build relationships with young people and, f- and they're being charged with these kinds of offences, when you actually break it down and understand what exactly what was happening, a majority of the time, especially the children that are in the city, mm. it's because people have been racist to them and they've yeah. like, all day, people have been like saying Classes. horrible things, mm. yeah. disgusting things to them. And then they lash out at the, the last person that says it. Mm. And then, then it's a violent offence. And then, it's mm. this perpetuation of a cycle because no one's actually hearing this child that how shit they're, so excuse my language, how horrible their language, uh, my, my language is horrible, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> how bad yeah, their situation is. Coming from AAA studio, <laughs> sorry. folks. <laughs> sorry. Then he's getting fired up, you know. <laughs> She'll fight us at the street corner. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I lost my train of thought. Uh, anyway, no, I'm just wondering, how horrible um, it is, anyway, yeah. f- for their experiences. But but then they're, then they're forced to do these things like restorative justice mm. conferences where yeah. they have to address their offending and it's about they're like, oh, you were violent, you bashed somebody, you did this, but they actually never talk to or hear the, the experience of that child. Mm-hmm. And even that system is a whole shaming system which doesn't actually benefit the child in any way. It's... Crazy. Yeah, no, you're absolutely Makes right. Me wild. I, I'm, for listeners who aren't aware of what bail is, um, can you explain what bail is and, and, and how that works for young people? So if a child is um, charged with an offence, yep. um, they are either, um, t- if they're taken to the watch house and then they are let go or the police let them out or... Yep then they're on bail. Yep. So then they have certain conditions. They, 
can't um, commit another offence. They might must stay at a certain residence. They um, might not be able to associate with certain yeah, people. Yeah. They might have to stay away from certain geographical locations. Yeah. They might have to be home at certain times. Yeah. They might not be able to engage in certain activities. Yeah. Now, the problem with bail, though, Netta, and we, we're seeing some, some massive changes happening in this space, what happens, um, we, we obviously know with watch houses and youth detention centres as well, what happens when we have um, these massive changes and see an influx of young people come into the system and what happens to watch houses and, and detention centres for young people in that space? Well, yeah, watch houses just get full. Ooh. And, and we had that story actually, recently um, about old mate who was at the Brisbane uh, City Watch House, the whistleblower. Yeah, and his his article about some of the mm. um, some of the the way inhumane yeah. acts that were happening in that yeah. space. Sorry to cut you short. Uh, yeah, um, I forgot where I was going. <laughs> but was the question in terms of the yeah. watch houses and stuff? Can you explain oh, to listeners? Yeah, so You've never been. I know later on, Netta, you're probably going to the watch house. I yeah, assume, yeah, and in your actually, daily work. So, what's those watch houses like for young people? Well, it's just it's just a room. It's just a room that is steel, that is mm. cold, that is very bright too. Those lights yeah, on Friday. Um, there's nothing for children to do. There's actually laws around adults being in a watch house no more than. Two weeks, I think yeah. it is. But there's actually no laws for children for how long that they can spend in a watch house. And we're seeing children up to three months in watch houses at the moment, which is disgusting. And but just, just so listeners understand what that means. So I'm not saying detention centres are the answer, no. obviously. But these watch houses, for folks who aren't familiar, they, as Netta speaks of, are, are, are concrete, steel. They are bright lights. There's no grass. There's no fresh air. Mm-hmm. Um, these watch houses, um, young people are staying in there with other people as well. Yep. They're only around the corner. Like, it's the same level, literally the same level, and around the bend um, is where the adults are yep. yeah, kept in watch houses as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. for the folks who aren't, um, and Ruby, for folks who aren't familiar with the detention centres, what's that space look like for young people? <laughs> it's a prison. It's a prison. It's still, it's... Not inviting. They talk about how they have all these services and things in prisons, children prisons that support children. But you see so much understaffing in these institutions that children don't actually get to go to school as often as you would assume. Absolutely. And they don't actually get their needs met that deter them from this system. It's actually just a holding place. So they you, do are you not... suggesting they're not rehabilitating uh, young people, Nettery? Yes. That, that's, a, that's a big claim, Nettery. You heard it first here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but this is, this is what listeners believe, though, right? This is what folks genuinely believe, that we're sending young people to these places mm. to be rehabilitated and to be helped when we know factually that these places aren't designed for that. No, it isn't. You just think about it. Like when you put a fish into a little fishbowl, it doesn't grow, but if you put it into a bigger fishbowl, it grows mm. bigger, right? I love these metaphors, Nero. I'm going to use <laughs> that later. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to write that one down right now. And so, but that's the same as a prison. You you, you can't grow when mm. you're confined, right? Mm. Yeah. And so we put children who are still developing, mind you, Good still point. developing, and we put them in these institutions, and we think that they're going to be deterred from that institution, but we're actually institutionalizing them and mm. making it a place where they feel well. Not I don't know. Not, that's the wrong no, way. No, but, but I mean, you, you like, make a really valid point because there's this assumption that um, young people and adults are going to come out healed and rehabilitated, um, and we know that's not the, the case. And, yeah. and then people are wondering why there's so many repeat offenders mm. because the place... Like, 
that they're spending time in, these prisons and youth detention centres, are not conducive to um, attending to people's um, health and well-being. No. And then they get out and then we have, a, like, services and our communities that are, and the government not addressing the actual needs of these people when they're out and especially young people. Like, mm. the housing, there's hardly any housing. And so how are you supposed to get out of prison and survive Um as a child or an adult, and have no housing, and is supposed to be a productive member community, of, yeah. yeah, member of society. That's it. I'm wondering, Ruby, can you tell us a little bit about about the uh, blow up the prison pipeline campaign that Sisters Inside are spearheading at mm. the moment? And I guess what's the idea behind it, and what are you asking people to do? Yeah, so Entoxic Prisons Blow Up the Pipeline was launched when Anastasia Palaget announced last year on the 5th of October that they're going to build a prison around cans for kids. Um, but that's quickly amplified over the Christmas holidays after that incident that happened just after Christmas. Um, the government came out and said it was actually going to be two and there's actually going to be a massive police expansion with um, high visibility patrols. And there's going to be massive changes. Like the, I guess there's one good thing with them introducing immobilizers, but at the patrons' expense. But um, and that's like for the cars, so that they yeah. can't be stolen so easily. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but they've they're introducing a lot of really damaging, harmful stuff, like like the breach of bail laws that we just saw before um, last week be introduced, and um, you know those. Threats of sentencing kids to 14 years. That's Yeah, that's incredible. That's absolutely wild. Like if you're scared of a 14-year-old now, you're definitely going to be scared of the product that he or she comes out as a 28-year-old person. Mm-hmm. I can tell you now. It's terrifying. It's not... It perpetuates the violence and it perpetuates the problem. It doesn't resolve anything. It adds fuel to the fire. So Entoxy Prisons is about looking and reimagining our communities. In with, so they've allocated over $500 million for this project. $500 million. So, you, Just in Gamoy. Yeah, oh. just in Gamoy, just around Cairns. And that is absolutely as wild when that's just an introductory payment. Mm. There's instalments after that. There's, like there's like impl- the bricks and mortar of the prison. Yeah. You know, it costs over um, close to two grand a day to keep a kid in a cage. They yeah. pay overtime for screws. They, you know, it's compo for screws because we heard the other day at um, the parliamentary inquiry that. You know, there are workers in youth prisons that are scared of how big some boys are. And I found that to be quite, you know, these are people that are that are hired to harm kids and they're frightened about kids being too big than them. Uh-uh. It's ironic. But they this is the things that they want to do. So what we're talking about is reimagining our communities with over $500 million and the things that we could build, not only for ourselves, for our children, but our future, our grandchildren's grandchildren. This is investment that we could make now. There is no instant gratification in any of this. Locking up a child now doesn't mean that they're going to be not going to be thrown in a watch house while this prison's being built. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be more harm against these children now that the um, human rights legislation's been suspended so that they can introduce all these harmful things. They don't care and they want to harm our people. So what Entoxic Prison's about will give us that money and we'll show you how to do it. We'll show you how to keep communities safe. People keep 
community safe, not laws. Yeah. And just supporting the communities to reimagine that and what they want for their communities. Yeah. yeah. Us and not being people, the experts on their yeah. community. Yeah, absolutely. For, for listeners um, who've not engaged in any of these conversations, I mean, that's a pretty big um, statement, blow up the prison pipeline. Um, for people who genuinely believe prisons are the answer, what's the alternative to that then? Because there'll be people listening going, well, what's the alternative? If we're not, There's if we're not blow one up the answer. Mm. There's okay. not one answer. Okay. But if we invest in our in communities, right, okay. and we end poverty, mm. which mm. is possible, mm. if we... Address racism. Yes. Mm. Um, we, supply families with resources to Yes. Better, to if we stop develop. taking children and actually invested the money that it costs to take a child and put them in care, invest that into the family so the families can stay together. There's so many things and it's not just one thing and it's really hard mm. to just break it down, but there's so many different things that could actually create a better, better world, really. Mm. But our government thinks in the silos and cannot see a bigger picture than, you know, and also can't see past their term. Well, that's a really, mm. really good point you make, Natalie, in terms of um, politics and, and terms. Um, we know that um, the last election was very much won and lost, um, you know, around Townsville and some of the the, um, the stories that were coming mm. ar- out around Townsville in terms of the supposed, you know, youth crime um, uh, increase in crises that is happening up there. It almost feels very much like, I mean, this is what blows my mind. I mean, I'm fully aware that Labour and Liberals are, are two wings of the same bird. Mm. However, I must admit, I was very shocked to see uh, the Palaszczuk Labour government take these laws so far, as far as they did. And I can only think about, it's clearly a response to bring more voters on mm-hmm. and to and to win the next election. Mm-hmm. And and this this idea of being seen to be tough on crime, yeah. right? Um, and we know that um, it's often the loudest, um, in brackets, widest voices that the government listens to, mm-hmm. right? So in terms of al- other alternatives, um, where I know you've been in Parliament recently and you're out on the road a fair bit. Netara, you, you said you're heading down to Tasmania. Are you yeah. both heading down to mm-hmm. Tasmania? Yeah. 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 When, when's that happening? You go 21st to the 26th of... Isn't it? This month, yeah, yeah. This month, yeah, yeah. March. Yeah, yeah. and what's wow. that about? Yeah, so that's about um, the, there's a law and justice conference that um, we'll be going down to be at. But yes. there's also around the end of last year, mid, late last year, mm-hmm. um, Tasmania had an inquiry into their one and only youth prison down there called Ashley Youth Detention Centre. Um, what they found in the inquiry is really revolting, um, a large large examples of sexual violence and physical abuse of young girls and um, down there in that prison where they only really had max maximum 12 kids in there at any one time, mm. but they had so much violence, so, so much violence there um, that the young people experienced. So now the Tasmanian government that they've, um, they've introduced a youth justice blueprint, they call it, okay. um, where there's going to be five new therapeutic healing centres. Oh, healing centres. That's going back to what we were talking um, about earlier, Netta. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But they're therapeutic healing centres. They're, they're a bit different. They're oh. a bit different. Um, but there's, they're going to open five of them. So to come from... One where you got twelve kids in it to Ooh. five is a bit shocking. So hopefully we can go down there and we're planning to work with a lot of great de- deadly Palawa mob, yeah, um, to see if we can try to prevent that from going ahead. Like Tasmania is a bit of a 
hopeful situation, I guess. Sure. Um, their government's a lot more left-wing. Okay. And I, I assume that they they might be willing to engage if they're so quick to call them therapeutic healing centres, they might be open to the idea of just stopping it altogether and just yeah. healing as a community, not a, not <laughs> at a centre. Yeah. yeah. And I guess absolutely. And, you know, for listeners tuning in, um, to... To keep updated, I, I'd really encourage you to, to jump online, look at the Sisters Inside website, their social media, um, the work that um, Nettarie and Ruby and, and Deb and the team are doing at Sisters Inside in terms of holding the front line and advocating for the rights of, of young people in this state, but also around the country. Is The work that you do is, is so impactful. And I thank you both for joining me this morning here on AAA and for listeners who want to stay um, in touch with this yarn. Um, over the next few weeks, we're going to try and get... Um, some ministers um, in the studio. Um, next week, we might have Scott McDougall, the Human Rights Commissioner. Obviously, there has the Human Rights Act has been suspended to uh, implement some of these changes to the legislation. So, um, lots happening here. And, and I guess I want to just say thank you, Annette Ree and Ruby, for holding down the front line as much as you do and for all the work that you're doing in community. That's us for AAA. Let's talk social justice. I'm Kevin Yayi. I'll see you next week. No more whispering in our mind. Let's talk Monday to Friday at 9am on AAA Murray Country, the National Indigenous Radio Service and iHeartRadio. You can catch up on AAA.org.au, proudly supported by the Community Broadcast Foundation.